it's handy to have this on the second sheet. You probably figured it out already, but we've got the Bible verses we just read together. So you can have them handy if you want, and we'll be referring to them back and forward um, over the next few minutes as we look at this passage, this interesting story, and figure out what it means for us today. Um, if you are new with us, just to set the scene, we've been going through this book in the New Testament called Acts, and um, this is really just the next passage in, in, in the series that we're, we're going through. Uh, and uh, the series is called Advancing the Gospel. Uh, it's called Advancing the Gospel, which is all about the early church, and we see the story, getting the message of Jesus Christ, his person and his work, getting that message out. It's radiating out from where it all began in, in and around Jerusalem. And this message goes out and out and out. And that's what the book of Acts is really showing. Uh, it's the information, it's the, it's, the, it's the story about Jesus, but it's more than information that we see. We see more than information being imparted. It's information that leads to transformation. It's changed hearts, changed minds, changed families, changed cities. And eventually we see, uh, fast forward a few hundred years, an entire empire is changed because of the good news of Jesus. And last time out, um, that we, we looked at the passage before and we saw the powerful uh, work of the good news of Jesus and the Holy Spirit bringing these hated people group called the Samaritans, bringing them into the church. The Samaritans were not well liked. Uh, they heard the good news of Jesus. They were transformed. And importantly then, they were added to this movement, this growing movement that we see in the book of Acts that called the church. And as we see, and as we'll see over the next few weeks, uh, more and more as this movement goes out, as the gospel advances, as the church grows, more and more outsiders are, are, are welcomed in, are enveloped into the church. And this is awesome. And it keeps on happening. It keeps on rolling up until today. And this is the great news that we love talking about and enjoying as a church. And, and it really informs everything we do. This is great news, but it's also a challenge because... Church is for people like you and like us. People who may feel like outsiders for many reasons. Church is for people like you. We see it here, for people like me. And hopefully as we go through the text, we'll, we'll see the kind of people um, that get brought in to the kingdom of God. So we're going to think of this text under two headings this morning. Uh, first of all, we see... Uh, how God advances the kingdom, and he does that by, number one, outsiders coming in. That's how he advances the kingdom. And number two, the second point, we see that God advances the kingdom by insiders going out. Outsiders coming in, insiders going out. So let's think, first of all, about outsiders that come into the kingdom to join this new movement called the church. And we have a case study of this man um, in verse 27. It tells us he is an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. He's a, he's a court official. He's in charge of the treasury of the queen mother of Ethiopia. And he is a worshiper or going to, he's been worshiping in Jerusalem. He's on his way home. And so in verse 27, it's very revealing information about this individual who hears the good news of Jesus. He's an Ethiopian which is, a, uh, as it is today, uh, the region south of Egypt. Uh, maybe you've been to Egypt on holiday around Luxor or uh, the Red Sea. Keep going south and you get to Ethiopia, that sort of district. That's where this man would have come from. Uh, it was considered to be the end of the world for those people who, in Bible times, 
Very, very exotic place to come from. Nothing else the other side of, of, uh, of Ethiopia. The far-flung corners of the world, as far as they were concerned. And this man, as all the commentators point out, would have looked very different. He was a dark-skinned man, as opposed to uh, those who were more Mediterranean in appearance, shall we say, uh, from Bible times in the ancient Near East. So he, he, he looked different. He was from a different country. Uh, he was a eunuch as well. Uh, what does that mean, you, you ask? Uh, eunuch, being a eunuch was common practice in certain ancient societies where, quite frankly, we're all adults here, uh, the genitalia uh, was removed so that the thought was, was that for men, they would therefore have single-minded devotion to serve the king or the high official of the country that they worked in. They weren't worrying about women or thinking of being distracted by family, single-minded devotion. And this man was such an individual. Uh, we find also he was from high office. He was a high-ranking civil servant working for the Candace, which is the queen mother of Egypt. She looked after all the civil affairs while her son, the king, um, was, was considered to be God. So that sort of stuff was below him. And this individual, this eunuch, never know his name, just referred to as the eunuch, um, was worshipping in Jerusalem, which is incredibly interesting. We don't know about his background, whether he was a, a convert to Judaism, whether he was just an interested person looking from outside, whether he was fascinated with the God of Israel and wanted to go and find out more. We don't know about why he was there. We're just told he was worshipping. But note this, because he was a eunuch, he would not have been allowed into the temple courts to worship God. He was considered offensive and therefore was excluded under Jewish law as found in the Old Testament. He was excluded from the worshipping community. He, was, he would have had to worship over the wall, if you like, kind of stand outside and just look towards the temple, something like that. So what do we have here? This guy, he is an outsider ethnically. He's, you know, he, he was, uh, quote unquote, from the wrong race. He was born from a different ethnic group, not the people of God, uh, the people of Israel. He was, he was an outsider in terms of his sexuality. He was a, a eunuch, and that excluded him from the worshipping community. He was an outsider socially. He was traveling alone. He wasn't with his, uh, well, he doesn't have a family. You know, he was on his own. He was a lone man. And he was an outsider culturally as well. He was an Ethiopian civil servant, very, very different to uh, people who lived in and around Palestine at that time. And yet, fast forward to the end of the story in verse 39, and something happens to this man because it says that eventually he is baptized as a Christian and he is filled with joy and he went on his way rejoicing. So, so the question that we, we, we're going to ask today and try and answer is this. What happened to this man in between? Why did he go away rejoicing? What happened in his heart? What happened to bring down all these barriers that prevented him from knowing the true God? How did he go from being radically outside to being accepted and added to this new and growing movement of Christ followers called the church? So let's look at the answer. And the answer is found in this text. It's sort of uh, buried in the middle of the text. The answer happens and, and, and this episode takes place in a desert place right in the middle of the story. We're told that this, this man, this eunuch from Ethiopia on his way home was reading in his chariot and he was puzzling over a scroll, an Old uh, Testament scripture from the prophet Isaiah. And um, as was, was common in ancient, 
a Near East uh, reading and learning. He was reading out loud to himself to try and understand what was going on. And so Philip, we'll think about him in a minute, but this man called Philip, a Christian uh, evangelist, a disciple of Jesus, uh, ran up to this individual in verse 30 and, uh, and heard that he was reading Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And this is my question, says the eunuch, about who is this prophet, this Isaiah prophet, who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Basically, this is a man who is reading the words on the page, but didn't understand the meaning. And so when Philip eventually hops up into the chariot and starts to explain, this is where the transformation begins to happen. This is how he goes from being an excluded person, far away from God, even through his best efforts, he was far away. How he goes from that to being filled with joy and added to this amazing radical new movement. This is what happens. Let's, let's look first of all at the thing he was reading and then we'll take it from there. In verse 32 and 33, this is the quote from Isaiah, this Old Testament Hebrew prophet. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Who is this talking about? The prophet or someone else? I don't know. And then it says, Philip began with this scripture and told the Ethiopian eunuch the good news about Jesus. Who is this talking about? Headline, Jesus. This is who the Old Testament prophet was talking about. Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Jesus, like a lamb before its shearers, he was silent, he was quiet. Jesus is the one to whom great injustice was done to him. Jesus is the one who had no sin and yet he was treated like a criminal and he was killed. And Philip went on and on explaining the rest of the Isaiah passage in which this little quote is found. He would have gone on to say Jesus didn't die for his own sin. Jesus died for the sins of his people. Even though he was sin free, he was perfect. He took their sins upon himself. And then as you read on more in the book of Isaiah, you'll realize that Jesus was not forced to do this. He did it willingly. He went to the cross decisively. He knew what he was getting into. He knew the suffering and pain he would go through. And yet he did it anyway so that he could save his people from their sins. That's why he did it. And this, folks, is the good news. Just to be clear, Jesus did this to bring outsiders in. Jesus did this to bring those who are far from God right into the very heart of God himself. Jesus did this for those who are wandering away to bring them home. Jesus did this for those who had sinned that they may be forgiven. Those who are ashamed to have their shame washed away. Those who are excluded to have full access and membership to the people of God. That's why Jesus did what he did. And Philip would have told the Ethiopian eunuch, all of this is yours through faith in Jesus, trusting him. Because it says there in verse 35, he told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus did this for you and you receive all of that by trust, by faith, by believing that what he did was for you. 
And it says in verse 37, don't stop. Verse 37, they came along and the, uh, sorry, 36 and the, uh, the eunuch said, ha ha, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he was, well, sorry, verse 38, he was baptized in water. This hugely powerful sign. They went down, they got out the chariot, they pulled it over, went down into this water. It must have been a little uh, creek or a small river or something like that. Went down into the water and he was baptized. He was dunked in the water by Philip. A hugely powerful sign to say that you've, 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 you've gone from death to life. You're entering the people of God, this visual depiction of, of going from outside in. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, the Samaritans, they had the same sign. They received the same sign of baptism in water. And the, and the first Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost, they received the sign of baptism. And now we see this Ethiopian eunuch, God declaring to him and to the world, he is mine. Those, those barriers that excluded him, they have melted away. He is now a child of God. Singing that earlier. He now has full access to me and my heart and all the riches of heaven through my son. He is now a full member of the kingdom of God. That's what happens when people get baptized. And that's what happened to this man on that day. God makes that awesome declaration. And here, here's the cool thing, everybody. Here is the cool thing. This is the reason why we do what we do at church here in Foundation Church. That same message that was preached to the Ethiopian eunuch that day, that same message still transforms people today. The gospel of Jesus has that same power to knock down barriers today. That same message has the same ability to radically take people in from all sections of society, all nationalities, all social circumstances, all backgrounds. If you see Jesus as the suffering servant that we read about here, the one who willingly and intentionally went to the cross for you, if you see Jesus like that, if you take him on by faith, then you too, no matter where you've been and what you've done and your family background and your experiences and all that, you will go from being outside to coming home. Isn't that amazing? How do you know? How do you know if that has happened to you? How do I know it's happened to me? Well, verse 39 gives us one of the responses that is entirely appropriate to knowing Jesus. Verse 39, towards the end, it said, he went on his way. This is the eunuch. He went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. He was filled with joy. That is how you know that you have been transformed by the power of Jesus. Your heart is filled with joy. It's amazing. If someone asks you, by the way, this is a test. If someone asks you, are you a Christian? And your response is something like this. Yeah, of course I am. Yeah, sure. I've lived a good life. I've never done anyone any wrong. Of course I'm a Christian. If that's your response or something like it, then friend, you haven't understood the gospel. You don't know Jesus. You haven't seen Jesus like the Ethiopian eunuch saw him that day as the lamb who went to the cross for you. But if someone asks you, are you a Christian? And your response is, I know. Isn't it amazing? 
Someone like me. Amazing grace. How can it be? Saved a wretch like me. Can you believe it? I was a total outsider. I was lost. I was gone. I was so far from God. And he took someone like me and, and brought him into his heart. Isn't that amazing? If that's your response or something like it, then you're starting to understand the gospel. You're starting to get Jesus. You're starting to know God and, and see him at work. And that's what our church is. Foundation Church, Belfast. We're just a group of outsiders who have come inside to God because of Jesus. We all started off outside. And then Jesus came and rescued us. And if you don't have a church home and, and, and some place that you call your church family, your brothers and sisters, then we would love you to join us as a fellow outsider who has come in. So we've seen, first of all, number one, that God advances his kingdom by bringing outsiders in. But the second way God advances his kingdom, we see this all through scripture, but particularly here, by insiders going out. Philip is the other character in this story. We're going to think of Philip because he is a great example of an insider who knew Jesus already, going out. Reminder, Philip uh, was an early Christian disciple. He was one of the early uh, servants of the church, sometimes called deacons. He was a man who was chosen to be a leader in the church because he was filled by the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom. But we see here he's got other gifts and skills that the Holy Spirit has given him. He's a great evangelist. He is an awesome guy to take the good news and just bring it to so many people in Samaria. This region north of, of, of Israel uh, that was hated, uh, hated Samaritans, they hated the Jews, there was, there was a lot of animosity for many, many years. And, and, and Philip uh, went to these people, he taught them the good news, it said he performed uh, powerful signs and wonders among them, miracles, healings, evil spirits being cast out, and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people in the city uh, the capital city of Samaria, came to faith in Jesus. We would call that today a revival. There was a revival in the country or the, the region of Samaria. And so with that in mind, and we know a bit more about Philip now, imagine how surprised he would have been and perhaps a lot disappointed when he heard, verse 26, the voice of an angel or an angel itself, saying to Philip, rise up, go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert place. He is told to leave this scene of great outpouring of the Spirit of God, hundreds of people coming to faith in Jesus. Leave and go to this desert place and await further instruction. This road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza, a desert place. Don't forget, uh, if you're not familiar, um, Jerusalem at this time, uh, within the first few years of the Christian church, there was a, a big persecution that broke out in Jerusalem. It was not a safe place at that moment to be a Christian. And God is telling him, go to Jerusalem, go back, potentially dangerous, and keep going and stay on this dangerous desert place and await further instruction. 
That's it. And so no wonder in verse 26 that he needed an angel to convince him that this is God's will for him. He needed something big because to leave all that stuff behind, seriously, Lord? Really? Is that what you want me to do? An angel was required. And thank God he got one. Not only an angel, in verse 29, it says the spirit spoke to Philip. Go to that chariot, run up alongside it, keep your ears open, listen. We had an angel. We had the spirit speaking somehow directly to Philip to go and engage with this Ethiopian eunuch and to go and have this theological discussion. Don't forget, they're on this desert road. Most people walked between cities on these desert roads. If you uh, were a person of influence or had a bit of money, you could maybe afford yourself a donkey. If you're incredibly high up, very rich indeed, you would have had a chariot. And that's exactly what this Ethiopian eunuch had. He was a man of great wealth and influence and power. And there he was in his chariot. And so Philip uh, goes up alongside him in response to the angel and the, the calling of the spirit and, and engages this high official in, uh, in discussion about the Bible. Philip, at that stage, interestingly, was called to have a good conversation with this man. He was not called to do signs and wonders in the back of the chariot. He was called to have a good conversation. I want to just say this as kind of a, a side thing here for you. If you are a, a, a disciple of Jesus, uh, if you have been a Christian for many years and you want to share your faith with other people and tell them the good news, never underestimate the power of conversation. Never underestimate the power of conversation. One-to-one, -one, chatting with your colleagues at work, over coffee, whatever it is. Never underestimate the power of conversation. As we'll see bears great fruit. So, verse 35, Philip, now up in the chariot with this man, rolling down towards Gaza and then onwards, obviously, to Ethiopia as the man goes home. Philip engages in this discussion, this conversation, beginning with the scripture, and he shared the gospel. He started, you see, where the Ethiopian eunuch was at. He didn't say, look, forget all that, because I want get to my, get my message across. He started where the eunuch was at, and he worked from there. Philip was able then to fill in the missing pieces. He could point uh, from Isaiah to the gospel of Jesus. It's important to understand as well. Again, if you're a believer in Jesus, Philip evidently knew the Bible well. He knew the scriptures well. He was able to handle it. He knew how all the parts fitted together. He knew the main storyline of the Bible. That's a challenge for us who consider ourselves believers in Jesus. The more we read, the more we think, the more we reflect, the more we internalize the Bible, the word of God, the more confident we will be growing in our knowledge and understanding of, of God and our ability to share him with other people. Anyway, it's interesting that um, Philip was uh, empowered for signs and wonders in Samaria. Here on the desert road, in the back of this man's chariot, he was empowered to explain the scriptures with clarity in a way that the eunuch could understand. Both of these things point to Jesus, whether it's the signs and wonders point to Jesus, whether it's the exposition and, and discussion of the Bible points to Jesus. And they are both the signs of a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. And that's what we seek to be here at Foundation Church Belfast. It's not either or, signs and wonders, or the Bible. It's both and, both gifts given to the church to build it up, to glorify Jesus. And that is something we shall seek to do as we go forward uh, is this tension and balance between both here at Foundation Church. We've got angels speaking 
We've got the Holy Spirit directly working. We've got the scriptures being used. And finally, we've got the providence of God at work in this entire situation. What do I mean by providence? I mean God's ordering and arranging of events like he's a choreographer or a, a chess, master, chess master ordering the pieces around. God, you see, it's him that brought Philip to the desert road. And it's him that brought the Ethiopian eunuch uh, along at the same time. Neither of them could have planned that except for God. That's providence at work. And what was happening when the eunuch appeared? He wasn't eating his lunch or, or chatting about the Brexit or something like that. He was reading the scriptures and he was reading Isaiah 53. Philip couldn't control that. The eunuch wouldn't have known the significance of that. And guess what? When they needed water to be baptized, there it was. A bit of small water, just enough for the purpose. This is the providence of God, folks, at work in this entire event so that this outsider may be brought home. And why am I saying all these things to you? Why is it important that we understand that as, as insiders we must go out? That's the way that God advances his kingdom. Well, this is the point. Whether it's through the angels, whether it's through the Holy Spirit, uh, whether it's through scripture, whether it's through the providence and the sovereign organization of God, all of these things are at work every day, in every moment, for God advancing his kingdom. In our place, in our city. Yes, there is overlap. No, they are not all the same. But just think about this for a moment or two. From Philip's point of view, he was called to a desert road, and that was it. God orchestrated everything to come at that right time through ordinary and extraordinary means, through angels and words of knowledge, through the scripture reading and teaching the gospel of Jesus. All of these things converging all at work so that Jesus was made known so the kingdom would advance. There's two learnings I want to bring out of this for us as a church when we're thinking about insiders going out. Number one, learning. As a community on mission, which is what we are here at church, our job is to be faithful. Our job is to be faithful. Faithful. Full of faith. That is our job. We are to listen to God. We are to obey God. We are to go out in response and obedience to God. That is what we are called to do. Like Philip. Let me just emphasize this. Even if we or you as an individual are called to a desert place where you cannot see beyond that thing that God has called you to, then we are to respond faithfully, full of faith. God, you have called me. God, you have sent me. God, you have organized this thing. Yes, God, I hear. I will follow. I will do what you ask. I don't understand it. I can't see where this is leading, but I will go where you send me. We will go, O oh Lord, where you send us as a church. We'll do it. As a community on mission, our job is to be faithful. Look at Philip. He had no idea what would happen, and yet he was faithful. But look how marvelous this episode, this conversion of a man from the very far-flung areas of the known world came into the heart of God through Jesus Christ because he was faithful right up to the desert road. He went there. And as a church on mission, we must be faithful. God gets the rest. Learning number one. Learning number two, God draws people in, not you. God uses angels. 
God uses scripture. God works his providence. God, the Holy Spirit, sometimes speaks words directly. These are his means. These are his chosen ways. These are his weapons. How much, therefore, does that rely on you? None. Yes, we are required, as we've just been saying, to faithfully obey God. But it is important that we understand this, especially for me as a Christian uh, pastor and leader and those of you uh, who maybe share a similar calling in life. It is important that you understand this and we in general. We think it's on us. We think it's on our amazing graphics and they are very good. Thank you, Mark. We think it's that. We think it's on our Instagram profile. That's the thing that wins people to Jesus. We think it's on our amazing preaching. We think the power comes from us. It's on our eloquence, our words. We think it's our ingenuity. It's our cleverness. It's our polish. It is our knowledge. But that is not the case. God draws people, not you. Implication. God draws people, not you. So rest. Rest. What of your anxiety? It is God that draws people to himself, not you. What of your worry? It is God that draws people to himself, not you. Not to say you don't have a part. You are to be faithful in your obedience. But it is God to, through all of his ways. Therefore, as his people, we are called into freedom. We are free to be bold with going out with the gospel. We are free to be obedient because God has got this. We are free to be creative because what's the worst that can happen? We are free to push back the darkness because he will bring the resources we need to achieve his purposes. We are free to take the gospel wherever we go. God draws people, not us. So let's get out there with our freedom and make much noise for Jesus. Conclusion. Whether you are an outsider making your journey in or whether you are an insider feeling the call to go out, it is all because of Jesus. He brings you in and he sends you out by his spirit. There is no barrier too great to prevent you from coming into God. Jesus has done all that is needed. And there is no barrier too great to prevent you going out for God because Jesus has done all that is needed. And he's done that for you too. Everything has been taken care of. We are called to be faithful. At the end of this message, gonna, which is now, we're just going to have a, a time now to reflect because it's easy for us to hear these things, go straight into song and coffee, and then we're away. But we try every Sunday to build in time for you to respond to what God is saying to you through his word, by his spirit. So uh, the guys are going to come up, our music guys, just now. And we're going to have a few moments of quiet reflection. And I want you to think about this. What has God been saying to you this morning? Have you convinced yourself that you are an outsider that is too far away? You are too outside and God can't deal with people like you. 
I want you to know that this case study alone tells you that is rubbish. Jesus has done it all. Outsiders coming in. Maybe you're someone who needs to trust Jesus today, the lamb who was slain for you. Maybe you're an insider, you think, and you need to be freed from some crippling paranoia or anxiety about obeying Jesus. Maybe you need to be free to speak the gospel more boldly. Maybe you need to be thinking that it's not all on you. And so we're going to have a few moments of quiet and reflection as the guys just lead us a little bit. And then we're going to ask God, we're going to pray to God and ask for a fresh filling of his Holy Spirit. We're going to ask him to show us Jesus. We're going to ask him for the faith to cling to him and to respond in obedience. So a few moments of quiet reflection and then we'll pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for Jesus, the lamb who was slain, the one who went to the cross for his people, the one who climbed out of the grave to give them life and life eternal. Would you give us, Father God, the faith that we need to cling to Christ, knowing that he already is clinging to us. Father God, where our faith is weak, would you send your Holy Spirit to grow our faith deeper and wider for you? Lord, where our heart is cold, Show us your love that breaks off the scales around our heart and enables it to beat for Jesus. Lord, where we are afraid, anxious, unsettled, nervous about following you, grant us boldness, freedom, Lord God, we pray, Lord Jesus, we pray, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, renew us, refresh us, send your gifts, show us Jesus. In his name we pray, and for his glory, amen.